I do want to talk to you today and next week for the next three weeks on this uh, topic of the experience of worship. Because worship is an experience. Now it's much more than an experience. We know that. Worship is everything we do. Worship is everything we do. We, we worship God by the way we work at our jobs. We worship God by the way we manage our time. We worship God by the way we manage our, our finances. We worship God in our relationships. So worship is something we do with our lives. Uh, but worship is also an experience. I read something uh, this week. I, I think it was Friday, Thursday or Friday. I was just scrolling through social media, reading some articles and stuff, and I came across an article that was a summary of a study that was done by the Barna Research Company. And this article discussed the varied emotional experiences of churchgoers in the United States. Now, according to the data, a large majority of practicing Christians and churchgoers, and by the way, this study, and this is a scientific study that, they, you know, they follow all kinds of, uh, of um, how should I say, just uh, judgments and, and uh, boundaries and such. So they, in this study, they made a distinction between practicing Christians and church-going adults. The practicing Christians were the ones who go to church at least once a month. Not even every week, right? At least once a month. The church-going adults are people who go to church every, once every five or six months. So we're talking about people who go to church. But they, by the way, they still call themselves churchgoers. Yeah, I go to church. But they only go to church, I would guess now, based on this data, you know, Christmas, Easter, maybe one other time. So anywhere from four to six months, actually, where the church-going adults, well, the practicing Christians are people who go regularly, which now is considered once a month. If you go once a month, you're a regular attender. Uh, So according to the data, a large majority of those practicing Christians and the church-going adults report positive feelings after attending church services. And more specifically, over 80% of practicing Christians and about two-thirds of the churchgoers feel encouraged after going to church. They feel inspired. They feel forgiven. Right? That's, that's all good news, right? But there's another side to this. There's some negative emotions as well. About half of churchgoers, remember these are the ones that go maybe two, three times a year. About half of churchgoers uh, sometimes feel disappointed after church. About 25% said in this survey they occasionally feel guilty after attending a service. Okay, which may not be a bad thing, but it just depends on how the Word of God is presented. And so, you know, in kind of summary, and this is, I read the, the whole, not the study, but just a summary of the study. A lot of people who go to church just feel, when they go to church, they feel a strong connection to God. They, they have new spiritual insights. And they find the experience of gathering for worship to be meaningful. And in some cases, they say profoundly meaningful. So they feel like this challenges me to be a better Christian. This is good for me. This is a good experience. And so, uh, you know, I'm talking about the experience of, of worship. As I said, worship is more than an experience. But I think it's the experience part that, as this Barna study has shown, that many churchgoers are missing 
They're missing the experience part. And because they're missing it, they're missing out on so many of God's blessings. So in the story we're going to read today from 2 Samuel 6, we're going to read about David who at the time was a new king of Israel and how he made a very painful discovery because David made the connection between disobeying God through an experience. He made the connection between disobeying God and facing painful situations. He'd, he'd realize, okay, those two are connected. It was uh, kind of by accident uh, between the, the connection between uh, disobeying God and facing painful situations in life that we don't have the strength to face. And so we're going to see what that has to do with experiencing God in worship. For many years, Jerusalem had been under the control of the uh, the Jebusites, a foreign army, the Jebusites, who formerly had been the inhabitants of Jerusalem uh, in the Promised Land. Uh, now they had been disinhabited uh, and Jer uh, the Israelites were there. But they had been, Jerusalem had been under the control of this foreign army. And Jerusalem had faced or I should say, Jerusalem had experienced the, the presence of God in the past, but now they're going through a difficult season because this city of David, this holy city, hadn't been holy for a while because the presence of God had departed. Uh, in the sense of the, the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the presence of God, was no longer in Jerusalem. So David's first act as king was to liberate Jerusalem and to kick out the Jebusites again. And so Jerusalem was now once again in the right hands, but it was still not the same because they were still missing the presence of God. And David knew that it was time for the presence of God to return to the holy city. They needed the presence of God. They needed the blessings of God. So he set out to bring back the presence of God, i.e. The, the Ark of the Covenant, back to the city of Jerusalem to bring back the presence and the glory of God. It's a great story, and we're going to read it in 2 Samuel 6. We'll start it today and continue it in the next couple of weeks. 2 Samuel chapter 6, here's what we read, uh, beginning with verse 1. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, and, and look at the number, 30,000. 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. All right, so as I said just a few moments ago, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was housed in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever the box was, that's where the presence of God was. Wherever the Ark went, that's where the presence of God went. And so God had instructed that the method for transporting the Ark of the Covenant, because it was a holy thing, because it was the place that housed the presence of God, the method for transporting the Ark of the Covenant was, to be was for it to be carried on the shoulders of priests between poles. So there's four priests, they're each carrying 
uh, pole, uh, using poles to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now you can imagine that this is an agonizingly slow process to move uh, the Ark. In fact, it was too slow for David to have these priests carrying the Ark on their shoulders with, with poles going through the rings that it had. And so David was thinking, we're in trouble, Jerusalem. We need God's presence we need the blessing of God and we need it right now. We, we can't wait for the ark to be brought slowly as they walk, as these four priests walk. So since he felt that God's way was too slow, he hatched his own plan. In fact, it wasn't his plan. He actually used a plan that the Philistines who had stolen the ark, the reason it wasn't in Jerusalem is the Philistines who were Israel's constant enemies, uh, they stole the ark. When they stole it, they put it on a cart and, and they had oxen uh, pull the cart. And so that's the way the Philistines took it when they stole it. And so David said, well, let's, I mean, that worked. They were able to transport it from Jerusalem to where they had it. it let's just bring it back the same way. So in trying to speed up the blessing of God and trying to speed up Bringing God's presence back to Jerusalem, he made a critical mistake. And the mistake essentially was that he decided that God's commands didn't apply to him. He knew, he knew the command. He knew the, the instruction of how to transport the ark. But he bypassed that because it was too slow. It took too much work. So he chose a shortcut. Now, how many times do we do the same thing where we want God's way in our lives, but we want it in a hurry. We want it now. Prayer, praying, I mean, prayer is hard work. It's hard work. Prayer takes time. God, I know what you said about prayer, but I just don't have a time. I don't have the time to pray. I just need the blessing now. Tithing, tithing costs money. Hard, you know, your hard-earned money from working hard at your job, sometimes two jobs, and God, I really love you, I want your blessing, but I think I'll, I'll skip that one. There's got to be another way. Waiting for sex until after marriage, I mean, they seems too restrictive, right? You might say, God, I know you had a reason for that, but, you know, it's just right now, I, this is something I got to do. Or we might think, so, God, you really want me to be kind to my enemies? You want me to bless my enemies, to pray for them? I mean, you don't know my enemies. You don't know who I'm dealing with. And sometimes like David, we pick and choose which parts of God's law, which parts of the Bible we want to follow. And some commands we don't follow because they're too difficult. Some commands maybe just take too much time. And we forget that if we're going to trust God, we're going to trust His timing. But no, that's, that's too hard. Some commands are simply just not convenient for us. Or maybe they go against our personality or simply our preference. So we put them aside. We put them aside and decide that we can try a, a, a better way. We wouldn't say a better way because, you know, we're disobeying God. But we say another way. But we're thinking it's a better way. And we might think, yeah, there are consequences for disobedience, but... I'll, I'm going to do it this way. God will understand. But here's a very important principle that we learned from this story. That is that violating God's commands opens a door to trouble. It happens. 
Violating God's commands opens a door to trouble. Every time you knowingly violate a command of God, trouble is on the way. You might think it's all going to work out. It might look great for a, for a while, for a few days or weeks or months, even years. Like, yeah, I guess I got away with this. It's working out. But there's always, always a storm cloud on the horizon. David was in a hurry and he took the easy way out. And so here's what happened uh, as they began to, to do this. Second Samuel 6, 5, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, which is basically like a rattle, sistrums and cymbals. Now think about this. They're doing thing, things their own way. They're not doing things the way that God commanded them. They're violating God's command for, carrying, for transporting the ark. They're having this great parade. 30,000, at least 30,000 people, because there were at least 30,000 men that he, he took, young men he took with him, and everybody else who would have been there. So they're having this huge parade. They're celebrating. They're singing, dancing, praise and worship is great. I mean, they got the lights, they got the smoke machines. Everything's going great. Praise and worship. And they're disobeying God the whole time. The whole time. 30,000 people thinking they're bringing God's presence back to Jerusalem. So verse 6 says this, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. He died, folks. He died because he touched the ark when he thought it was going to fall. David's sin, David's disobedience produced these terrible results, terrible consequences because they were in a hurry. They wanted to bring the ark back. Instead of carrying it, they were transporting it uh, on a cart pulled by oxen. When they hit this bump, the cart gets a little you know, unstable. It was about to fall. I mean... Nobody wanted to see the ark fall, right? That would ruin the parade. So you would think, well, Uzzah, well, at least he was, you know, trying to keep the ark, God's presence from falling. So that's why he did that. But God struck him dead. We might think, oh, that's, that's extreme. But God was sending a message to this nation, Sending a message to David and the nation. And that is that no matter how loud your parade, no matter how uh, maybe uh, polished your praise and worship music is, no matter how good it feels, you got the singers, the dancers, the musicians, uh, whatever, regardless of what you think or need, you just can't violate God's word. You can't do it. And here's why. Because God's laws are unchanging. God's laws are unchanging. Even if your motives are good, and a lot of times we judge ourselves by our motives. Well, at least I meant well. Yes, but even if your motives are good, if, if you're violating God's commands, then there will be consequences because God's laws are unchanging. When you take the easy way out and you ignore God's commands, when you decide that the law doesn't apply to you, inevitably you're going to face consequences. And what's amazing to me is that uh, people know that they're disobeying God. They're violating God's laws, which are unchanging. They know that they're going their own path. 
instead of going the direction that God is leading them, then when consequences come, they say things like, why is God doing this to me? Have you ever heard that? And you want to say, um, hello? It's, it's hard to say that to people sometimes, you know, when they're not receiving the truth. But why is, why is God angry at me? And sometimes they walk away from God and they say, God wasn't there for me. God, how can a loving God allow me to go through this? God wasn't there for me. I mean, God's laws are unchanging, right? I mean, as I said, I think it's fascinating that they're disobeying God's clear command, yet they're celebrating their disobedience with a parade as if nothing was wrong. And then when Uzzah dies, I mean, that put a damper on everything, right? So God's will and desires for you to follow His commands, and when you choose not to, then you're, you're choosing discipline instead of blessing. And discipline is not popular. I mean, I know that. That's part of God that we don't want to think about. We want to think of Him as a heavenly uh, Father, as a loving Father. And He is. And that's why He disciplines us. It's part of His love. It's just like an earthly father. Just like you discipline your kids because you love them. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 10 it reads like this, They, speaking of our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Nobody enjoys discipline, right? When you were a kid, did you like it when you got spanked? Did you say to your parents, wow, that was great, let's do it again. It's wonderful. It's not great when it's happening, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And if you ignore God's commands, then you're opening yourself up to the discipline of God. And in this case, God saw an entire nation ignoring His commands. And the result was this death of this man. It was a message to the whole nation that my commands are not to be taken lightly. <clears throat> so look at verse 8 now. David, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means um, to burst out against Uzzah. I mean, that's not a surprise to us, right? Because when you disobey God... He removes His hand of blessing and protection from your life. And it not only affects you, but here's the thing. It affects the people around you. It affects the people who love you. And the people that you love. But then, so many times we just blame God. We get angry at God. When He said, this is what's going to happen. He's telling us, you disobey me, then you're opening yourself up to consequences, to discipline. He warned us, and yet when it happens, we're like, where's God? God let me down. God didn't save, you know, my, my children or my husband or whomever from this situation. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we're more like little kids than we think we are. So verse 9, verses 9 and 10. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he, he says, because of his fear, he thought, we'll never get the ark back to Jerusalem. How can it happen? He was, verse 10, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, Obed-Edom, 
the Gittite. So here David took 30,000 young men on a journey to get the ark back. It's a, because, it, you know, he saw it. It's a major undertaking because he knew that Jerusalem needed the presence of God. He wanted the presence of God back in the city where it belonged. But when things went wrong, he gave up. He abandoned the entire idea. Can you imagine 30,000 people, 30,000 plus people hanging their heads, walking back to Jerusalem, arriving in the city without the ark? Everybody else, where's the ark that you went to get? Yeah, we don't have it, right? They went home without God's presence. And David became so afraid of the judgment and discipline of God that he chose to just get away from the ark. He just, he just left without the ark. He's like, I, how can I bring it to me? He was afraid. Which brings us to this point that fear can keep us from experiencing God's presence. Fear can keep us from experiencing God's presence. When you are afraid and you fear God's discipline or you are afraid of so many other things. Sometimes people lose their way. They, 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 maybe they don't rebel against God, but they drift. Have you ever seen this happen? People drift away from God and then all of a sudden they're not going to church anymore. They're not praying. They're not just explicitly trying to follow God's commands anymore. They're just kind of living their life. And in the back of their head, they thought, yeah, I used to go to church. And my parents taught me. And yes, I, you know, I was taught differently. I should go to church. But sometimes fear of what will people say? What will people say when I show up? What will they say to me? And uh, hopefully we would just welcome people, right? Hopefully we wouldn't say, hey, it's been a long time. Where you been? You know, and, and we kind of pile on. Or, hey, the roof is going to cave in. You came back to church. You know, that's the wrong thing to say. And, and, and people fear that sometimes. And that fear is keeping them from coming back to church. And, and that fear is keeping them from God's presence. And that fear is keeping them from God's blessings. At the time that they need the presence of God the most, like David, they're abandoning the one who can save them from the mess they find themselves in. They didn't take the ark back to Jerusalem. Instead, uh, we read that David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, Obed was a Gittite. What does that mean? I looked this up. Gittite, a Gittite is somebody who is from Gath. People from Gath are called Gittites. That was the same uh, hometown of Goliath. Remember Goliath, the Philistine giant? So, wait a minute. So, Obed-Edom was a Philistine? He was a Philistine from the same... Hometown as Goliath, their, their giant leader, uh, warrior. Now, some scholars I read uh, believe that he was a, a Philistine. He was living in, in you know, in, among the Philistines in Philistia. But he was also somebody who was loyal to Israel. And I don't know the circumstances, but loyal to David. We don't know if that's true or not. It, it, it certainly seems like it could have been. But the bottom line is he was from the enemy's camp. He was a, a Philistine. And so David's plan had been to bring back the ark. Instead, he left the ark, the presence of God, in Goliath's hometown with a guy named Obed-Edom. Now, I wonder what Obed thought, right? He knows. He, he had to have found out that somebody just got killed for touching the ark. And now he's got it in his house. What's he going to tell his children? Don't touch don't touch the ark. He probably put some ropes around there or something. I would have done that. 
But here's what happened in verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So now the ark of the covenant, the presence of God, houses the presence of God, the glory of God, is left with, with this Philistine, and all of a sudden, great things begin to happen. He began to be blessed. His children were blessed. Everyone in his household was blessed. His business just took off. You know, he's riding, uh, he's riding the wave. I love the way that Pastor Rod Loy imagines this. He, he, he says, uh, people at the, at the local uh, restaurant, at the, he's at the local Cracker Barrel, are talking about, have you heard what happened uh, to Obed-Edom? Have you seen the camel his son is driving? <laughs> I mean, he was blessed. He was blessed. And Obed knew it was because of the presence of God that he was blessed. He knew that this blessing was because of the ark, because of God's presence and glory. That's why he was being blessed. How do we know that? Because we read in 1 Chronicles 15 that when the ark was taken away, eventually David you know, came to his senses and he, he be, he be, he tra- began to, they began to transport the ark the correct way, the correct way. And when this happened, Obed-Edom joined in the celebration. There was another celebration, but this this time it was done correctly. He joined in the celebration. We'll talk about this down the line. He joined in the celebration. In fact, 1 Chronicles 15 tells us that he was one of the musicians. He played the harp, which is not one of the big old harps that we have today. You know, it's more like a lyre. Uh, So he he was a musician. He was also a gatekeeper, which means he was a guard. He was guarding, helping to guard the ark as they brought it to Jerusalem. And then when the ark arrived in Jerusalem, Obed-Edom stayed there. He he moved to Jerusalem with his family. Why? Why is he doing this? Why is he? Because he's following the ark, because he's following the presence of God. He knew that everything he had received was because of the presence of God. Because he knew that where God's presence is, good things happen. And here's the point. When God is in the house, blessings follow. When God is in the house, blessings follow. It just happens. How many of you know that in the presence of God, people are healed? In the presence of God, people are delivered. The presence of God, relationships are restored. In the presence of God, people find peace and joy. In the presence of God, what you might have destroyed through disobedience, God can redeem and turn around in an instant in the presence of God. Throughout the Bible, throughout history, throughout my life, I can tell you I've discovered that to be true. Where God's presence is, blessings follow. Some of you, I know, were like me. Not all of you, but some of you were like me. When we were growing up, we were in church. Every time the doors were open. How many of you can testify and say, yeah, that was us. That was our family. Every time the doors were open, we were in church. We never missed a service. Of course, it helped my dad was a pastor, right? But we never missed a service. We never left early. If church went long, we would fall asleep on the pew or under the pew. And, you know, I, I think the reason we never missed is because we didn't want to miss the blessings of God. We had a sense of God is in this place, and I don't, want to, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. I remember when I was 15 years old, I, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. And the very next day, actually, we didn't go to school the very next day. when We had a great revival. 
We didn't go to school the very next day when this broke out because we had stayed at the church so long. Past midnight, just praying, just seeking God and weeping before God. And, but the next day that I went to school, I remember just walking around in school with a, this powerful sense of God's presence with me. Not that I was holy or that, no, I was just a kid. I was a freshman in high school. But just a powerful sense of God's presence with me. We didn't want to miss the blessings of God because we learned that there's just something that happens in the presence of God. Church attendance in our country has, has really declined. People are giving less and less time to church and missing more and more often. Missing church sometimes without really good reasons. It's not that they're sick. It's not that, okay, I had to work this weekend or whatever. As I said to you earlier, studies have shown that the average person goes to church once a month and calls that regular attendance. Why is that? But these same studies reveal that people are just too busy. They cram their schedules with activity, piled upon activity, and those activities go into the weekend. There was a time, uh, and I know I'm, you know, I'm 60, uh, almost 65 years old. I, uh, so I know that this is so different now, but growing up, we played baseball on Mondays, Tuesdays, Little League Baseball, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, never on Wednesday because Wednesday was church night. Except for Pentecostals, it was church night was all week, right? But Wednesday was church night. To have some kind of a game or tournament on a Sunday morning, I mean, that was unheard of. That was unheard of. In fact, uh, we still followed the Blue Laws back then. And, and in fact, HEB at our hometown was closed on Sundays because, hello, Sunday, right? The day of the Lord. So may I understand that culture changes, but, but I, I think that uh, people have just gotten so busy, don't respect the... the uh, rhythm of the church life and so but people individually can respect it families individually can respect it and they don't another reason might be that we tend to be a self self-sheltered community we tend to be a self-sheltered community sociologists call this cocooning cocooning we stay in our homes right you pull into your house through the garage your neighbors don't see you because you pull in close the garage door you go into your house and you're there all night Nobody better ring the doorbell. Nobody better bother you. And then in the morning, we come out to the car, open the garage door. We leave. We're cocooning, according to sociologists. We, and, and I think maybe this is the biggest one. We just no longer equate our blessings with God's presence. We've got it so good. Here in America, we've got it so good. We've decided we can do without God's presence. Well, here's the last verse. We'll continue this next week. But the last verse for today Verse 12, now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now remember, this is during Bible times. There is no social media. There's, you know, how, how do people, uh, how, how do they tell a story. I mean, they had to be talking about it. That's all, the, that's all it was. People were, were talking about what was going on with Obed-Edom and word eventually got uh, around and some, somebody finally told David. And David knew, he understood, this has nothing to do with Obed-Edom. This is to do with the ark. It's not that he's more special than the rest of us. He just happens to be where God's presence is and that's where the blessing is. It's not Obed-Edom, it's God. God's glory is supposed to be here. He was no doubt thinking, but we left it there. And so Obed-Edom was experiencing all the blessings. He might have been thinking that we're, those should have been our blessings. 
but he's got God in his house. You know, when I was in elementary school, this was upper elementary school, a friend of mine named David, name was uh, David uh, Rivas, he's a good friend of mine up through high school, he stopped by our house one time, uh, so we could walk to school together, we would walk to school. And so he came a little bit early, and my mom was just about to pray with us. My mom prayed with us all every morning before we went to school. So I told him, yeah, come on in. You can join in our prayer. And I knew he had a Baptist background. I don't know how regularly they attended. It turns out not very much, but he, he knew about praying. So I said, yeah, come on in. And so he prayed. we stood in a circle. My mom would always read a portion of Scripture, and then she'd pray over us. So when we finished praying... As soon as we walked outside, we were kids, we were elementary kids. As soon as we walked outside, he turns to me and he says, no wonder. I said, no wonder what? He says, no wonder. No wonder you're always blessed. And no wonder nothing ever happens to you. No wonder you, get, you never get hurt and you always get good grades because God is always with you. Well, I mean, that was his way, elementary kid, of interpreting this. The fact is, you know, I, I got hurt. I got hit in the head with a football one time. And, you know, and I, I was always falling and running into walls and stuff and injuring, breaking stuff. Still do that. You know, but, but he did kind of get the picture of, yeah, so, you know, you're asking for God's blessing. No wonder God is with you. And I think what was true then is true now, that God's presence is known. People will talk about it. People will talk about it. They were talking about Obed-Edom. And people will talk about it. They'll recognize God's blessings in your life. They'll recognize your peace, your joy, the ability, the skills that God has given you. The strength to face difficult times. The strength to face tragedy. You know, when I pray for my children, I just not, not only pray for them to be blessed at work and for favor at work, but I, I also pray for them to have the, the grit, the strength from God to face difficult days. Because they're going to face difficult days. They are. That they would have the strength to face them and not to give up and not to get down. And so people notice blessed people. So David, we read, he went down and brought back the ark of God from the house of Edom with rejoicing. Of course he did. <laughs> Once he heard, oh yeah, this is going on. I need to bring it back. Now here's a cool thing and I'll turn in the corner toward finishing here. Here's a cool thing. God's presence is no longer confined to a place. It's no longer confined to a box. We call this God's house because this is where we gather. But in reality, God's house is us. Paul said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God resides in you, inside of you. And you can have God's presence and His blessings right there with you. Individually, as Christians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Corporately, as a church, we are the temple of God. This is why I talk about our gatherings, and I've preached about this before. When, when we gather together like we are now, then this is a temple of God. This is where God is. Not just because we individually, we house the presence of the Holy Spirit, but because corporately we house the presence of God. And so there are a lot of reasons to choose to follow Jesus, a lot of reasons to surrender our lives to, to Jesus. You know, we're going to live in, in heaven with Him for eternity. I mean, that's great, great promise and great thing to look forward to. But it's so much more than that. That's a great blessing. But uh, there's much more here on earth when you feel alone God is with you. When you're in a financial need, God said He would meet your needs. When you're sick, 
God has healing power for you. When, when you are struggling with loss, God said he would turn your sorrow into joy. So God's presence is where we need to return to. God's presence. There's, there are people, and I alluded to this, there are people who have known God's presence and have walked away. Like I said, maybe they rebelled, but maybe they just drifted. And, and if that's you today, if you're watching online and that's you, I want you to reflect a moment on what it's like to be on your own. To think that, like David, I'll do it my way and expect that things will ultimately work out. And I want to invite you to return to God's presence. To return to God. I think there's no place more miserable than to know you've chosen or you've allowed yourself. Essentially, you've chosen to walk away from God's presence. Through your decisions, through your disobedience, you've decided, I can do things my way. I can do things my way. Things are working out for me. Things are okay. Because like David, you're going to discover that it doesn't work out. So... What would I like for you to, to do today? What am I asking you to do today? I'm asking you to say to God, Lord, here I am. With all my junk, with all my mess-ups, with all my failures, with all my mistakes, all I want is your presence. All I want is your presence. And so I want us to pray today, and I want to pray for you for those of you that maybe you had the presence of God in your life and for whatever reason you walked away. Maybe it wasn't, like I said, a big horrible sin. You just drifted. Or maybe it was a big horrible sin. But either way, you're living without the presence of God that you once knew. And maybe you're thinking, how can I come back to God? How can I come back to church? It's time to overcome that fear. Don't let fear paralyze you like it did David for those three months. So I want to pray for you. And I want us all to pray and to renew or make for the first time a commitment that we're going to obey God. That we're not going to be offering excuses for coming to church services, for coming to our gatherings and, and blame God. My wife always says, why does everybody blame God? Why don't they blame the devil? He's the one who brings all the evil upon us. Yeah, that's true. We always blame God. But instead of that, why don't we just say today, Lord, I come back to you. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, every one of us has been guilty to some extent of what David did on this occasion. Where first he tried to do things his way and discovered that connection between disobedience and negative consequences between disobedience and painful consequences how many times have we suffered and, and we've suffered through difficult times that we brought on ourselves through our disobedience we walked away from you and then we blamed you we said God you don't care it's your fault God Lord you've been so patient with us forgive us for that today Lord we all want to say just sincerely and humbly we all want to say Lord forgive my sins and I pray especially for someone whether somebody here or maybe somebody watching online who is saying I used to 
I used to go to church. I had God's presence with me. I remember that. As a child, as a teenager, as a young adult even, I remember. My parents taught me. But I walked away. I just got careless. I prayed to God that they would find the strength through your Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I want to go back. I want to go back home. I want to go back to where your presence is because I've discovered I need your presence and I need your blessing in my life. And I want my time of worship to be a time of just being in your presence and loving you and receiving from you. Help, help us to do that, Lord. Help us to do that as we turn to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.